Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty's This America podcast. This is the week of July 13th, 2020, and this is episode 100-something. Got a big one for you guys this week and one we've been, we've kind of had in our back pocket for a long time now, but we haven't had the opportunity to post it yet. And we felt like this would be a good time because when is not a good time for Stu Gotts. I did this interview with Stu Gotts sometime. When when did we do it, Travis? A month ago? Oh, it was early quarantine. It was right around actually when the Masters would have been. Because I remember talking pre-interview about how the week was for us without, because Stu Gotts being a big golf fan and us obviously working with the Masters, how that was was a bad week. So that's when we taped this was in April. Oh, so it's been about three months ago when we actually did this interview. Gosh, it doesn't seem like it's that long. I guess it's sort of like quarantine itself, Travis. It feels like five minutes ago, and it feels like five years ago all at the same time. Well, you have been busy this past couple months, so I can see how it's kind of a blur with everything just kind of goes together. I have been busy. There's just been a whole lot going on. And, of course, we had an amazing interview with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on Marty and McGee on Saturday, and had some news there that he voiced his concern about the potential for a 2020 college football season openly. And uh, his his exact words when asked about the concern for a season were high to very high. His concern about whether or not there might be a season, but he has a couple more weeks. He said late July is when he must make a decision thereof. And so I really look forward to seeing what the commissioner decides and and how that decision comes together. Um, and Marty, and with Greg Sankey too, he's someone that he doesn't mince words. When he says something, he knows what he's saying, and he's he's not trying to make headlines or whatever. So when he li- when he talks, people should be listening to him. Absolutely, and he's not. You know, he made it real clear to us as well. He's not beholden to what any other conference decides. He's going to do what's right for his student-athletes and his administrations and his universities. And I just uh, I really appreciated his candor with us uh, on Saturday about that because he hadn't come out and really said it that directly yet. And so uh, when he said that, it kind of sat us back in our seats, but it was very telling about where we are, you know, in the wake of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 making their decisions last week that they would play conference-only schedules if they play ball at all. And as I I said last week here on Marty Smith's America, uh, I I so hope there's college football. Uh, So many people yearn for it. So many people uh, find great release and escape in watching their favorite teams play, and they take their identities from those teams. And... I think a conference-only schedule would be just fine. And I think you could start in mid-September, and I think you could go uh, just past Thanksgiving uh, and, and be done with that, that conference schedule and, and then go ahead and play a national title with four teams or eight teams or whatever you decide uh, and, and be done before Christmas. Um, I would love that, but, of course, that's me. I'm not somebody who has to go play it. I would be someone who would would be gladly covering it. And they aren't letting us make the decisions either, so. Yeah, we aren't decision makers, that's true. And of course, again, it's really about the health of the student-athletes and what does that look like. I just don't know. It's so hard when it's a faceless, 
opponent that just doesn't have an end date, it's so difficult when you can't say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be gone. It's going to be on December 1st, man, we're good. That doesn't exist right now. So uh, I appreciate all of the commissioners across the landscape uh, in the Power Five and, and all across intercollegiate athletics who are making these difficult decisions. We also actually uh, had the opportunity to chat with Harvard's head football coach, Tim Murphy, about their decision to move to the spring and, and everything that that entails and the difficulty they're in. Again, I mean, let's just use the word of the year, unprecedented. And uh, that's what it is. And speaking of unprecedented, Stu Gotts is unprecedented. Never been one before him. There's never been one after him. He's a one of a kind. As we say in the South, the good Lord broke the mold when he made Stu Gotts. And we're thrilled for you guys to hear this because it's a very different Stu Gotts than you're used to hearing. You're used to hearing the guy who is who plays the village idiot on the Dan Lebetard show, who is actually the smartest guy in the room. I'm not speaking out of school there because not only have I said that to him, but I've also written it in my book, Never Settle. Uh, he's an extremely, extremely intelligent man. And he and Dan, along with Mike and all the guys in the shipping container, uh, have built a, a daggum empire. And it's must listen every day. I, I love it. They are speaking of great releases. They are a great release for me and so many millions of other people across the country. And this is going to be, again, a, a very, a very vulnerable Stu Gotts. And I don't think he was prepared for some of the questions that I asked him. Travis, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but you're correct, Marty, because after the interview, he even commented about, you know, thanks. I was, he wasn't expecting this, but it was actually ended up being, you know, he enjoyed it, but it definitely, I think he thought going into it, you Stu Gotts and he's probably thinking, you know, Marty party and probably thinking just going to cut it up and laughs. And it was a, a different interview than he was expecting. Most of the time, that's what we do. And to me, and, and I know you too, Travis, one thing that, that stands out to me about what Dan and Stu and Mike and, and the guys do so well, is, and, and I would like to go ahead and say, even though I, I don't, if I do say so myself, I don't want to sound conceited here, but I feel like Ryan McGee and I do this pretty well too, is the ability to weave in and out of subjects that one minute might be very serious and the next minute we might be falling off our chair in laughter because the train came off the rails about something that one of us said or did or a story we told. And that's what Dan and Stu do so deftly. They do it so well. And and that's why they built such an amazing brand. And we're going to we'll dive into some of that with Stu. But but what we really get into is what it's like uh, as a dad. Uh, and how did you and Dan even end up together? And what it's like and, and how fulfilling it is. You've heard him on the Levitard Show at times discuss coaching his daughter's lacrosse team. And how fulfilling that is. And those of you who are dads will love what he says about the opportunity to coach his daughter because it's an emotion that so many of us feel. And one other thing that we got into that I don't think he expected was... I've been a fan of, of him for a really long time now, and now he's like a brother. All those guys are like brothers to me because they, of the investment they've made in me. They welcomed me into their family 
and made me a piece, a small, tiny little snippet, nibble of the Levitard cake. It's been so fulfilling to me. And so I've listened to them for a really long time. And one of the things that really stood out to me was the day that the horrific shooting occurred at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, that killed 17 people, was Stugat's response to that because he lives just down the street from it. In fact, he told us during our interview with him he can see it from his house. And to hear the emotion within him during that moment offered yet another layer to someone that I consider to be extremely brilliant, extremely kind, a great friend. And we get into that during this interview as well. I just think you guys are going to love it because I think you're going to learn about a person that you think you know. And I think you're going to know him a little better after this interview. I certainly hope so. I did. I did. But before we get to our interview with Stu, I want to let you guys know about Heavy Metals. It is season eight of Heavy Metals inside the Corolla Gymnastics Empire, a groundbreaking seven-part podcast series that takes listeners on a deep dive into the lives and influence of Bella and Marta Caroli, the most successful and controversial coaches in USA Gymnastics history. To listen to the trailer, subscribe now to the 30 for 30 feed on Apple Podcasts, the whole season drops Tuesday, July 14th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, buckle it on up tight. It's time for our chat with Stu Gotts on Marty Smith's America. First of all, uh, I appreciate so much, brother, you taking time. And I'll just start the podcast here by saying what I've said to you a couple of times. And Dan, Mike, how grateful I am that you guys have been so good to me. And I appreciate your friendship so much and i love what you guys do and what i, I kind of want to get into that one thing i don't there's so much about the dan levitard show that i don't know and that i'm so intrigued by so i want you to walk me through first what was the evolution of this program how did you guys become what you are right now oh wow that's a uh that's a tricky question uh to answer quickly um but we I have all <laughs> we got nothing but time, Marty, right? Um, so I, I will tell you that, um, you know, Dan didn't have really much radio experience. Uh, my first big job in radio, Marty, was the executive producer of the Hank Goldberg show. So at the time, Hank was, you know, he had a local show in Miami, and he had one of the biggest shows in America. So this was back in like 98, 99. And sports radio was really taken off, and Sports Illustrated decided to do a feature on sports radio. And one of the shows they highlighted was Hank Goldberg's. And so Hank Goldberg would spend most of his show with me as the executive producer, uh, tear it into this guy who wrote for the Herald, whom I had never met before. Now, I had read his columns, <laughs> or a couple of them, and, and, you know, perhaps not the entire thing, because Dan likes to write uh, long form, but... Uh, I, I kept saying to myself, man, if Hank is spending entire shows, entire weeks, 
uh, just trashing this guy's opinions. He must have some unique opinions. He must be pretty damn good at what it is he does. And so from there, uh, you know, I started a sports radio station years after I started working for Hank. Uh, because while I was there, Marty, I saw, you know, major markets starting to put up two sports radio stations. And I definitely saw a space in our market for a younger, hipper, better sports radio station than the one that I was working at. And so with that said, uh, me and four guys got together. We started what is now, it still is, 790 The Ticket. And uh, I would not start that station if Dan Levitard was not my afternoon drive host. And so uh, I met with him through a mutual friend we had never met. Uh, but Boog Shambi, whom, whom you know, voice of Sunday yep, Night sure. Baseball, ESPN Radio, uh, he, he was really good friends with Dan, really good friends with me, and he, he put us together. We met at a Starbucks in Pembroke Pines. Uh, I told Levitard what I wanted to do. I told him I wanted him an afternoon drive. Uh, and, I, you know, we walked out of there with, with a deal. And, and I was super excited because Boog had told me, hey, there's this real passionate, lovable uh, got a great sense of humor, Marty. All the things you've grown to love about Dan. Boog told me all those things were there 16, 17 years ago. Uh, compassionate, thinks differently. But the thing that couldn't come out in print was his sense of humor, and that's just—it's hard to write funny. Dan will be the first one to tell you. And so uh, Boog put us together. I met him. I told him what I wanted to do. Uh, he loved the idea of taking down Hank Goldberg, who had trashed, who was still doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Dan now, it makes you laugh. But he loved the idea of kind of putting Hank Goldberg out of business, which we eventually did, and uh, he was in. Now, I will tell you this. The show was originally pitched as Dan by himself. I was going to do a midday show. He called me about a week before we launched, and he said, hey, I don't want to do this show alone. I said, all right, who do you want? I'll go get him for you. And he said, well, I wanted Boog, but he can't because he was working at the competitor's radio station. He said, but I trust Boog, and Boog told me you'd be perfect for me. And I said, well, hey, I got a midday show to do. And he said, well, you're not going to have an afternoon show unless you leave that midday show and do the show <laughs> with me. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so that was an easy, you know, at the time, you know, it was easy, uh, Marty, because I knew I wanted Dan. And, for, and Dan was basically telling me, hey, for me to do this, you got to be with me. And, you know, it was only tricky from this standpoint. Uh, I had to give up the dream of having my own show to do the show with Dan, but it turns out to be the best decision that we've ever made. And I will tell you the first year, two years, the show was dreadful. It was awful. And that's because I was driving the show. I didn't know Dan. And I was guessing at what Dan wanted to talk about on a daily basis. It wasn't until we had Dan driving the show, controlling the topics, controlling the conversation. until our show really took off. And once we made that change about a year and a half, two years in, uh, the show took off in a way that I don't think either of us expected. It was, it was consistently number one in the rating books in Miami. What would you tell Younger Stu, if you knew what the show would become then? Uh, the five seconds it took me to say yes and for Dan to convince me uh, to do it with him, that should have been less than five seconds. <laughs> 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 if that ever happens again, uh, the lesson I learned, Marty, is don't let Dan finish this, his sentence to just say yes before he's before he's done asking you to co-host the show. I didn't, Marty, I, I had a sense of how good he'd be at this. I didn't know he'd be this good at this. And he's just a master communicator. And uh, I am, listen, I'm lucky he made that call. And I'm, and I'm certainly grateful that I said yes. It turns out to be one of the great calls I ever got. But if I learned anything, if Dan calls and asks you to do a project with him, you say yes. That's it.
Agree. I mean, it's even <laughs> even the small. I will tell you, even the small part that I I have in in your family, it's amazing to me how often that's the feedback. The feedback to me at the airport is not, man, we love that thing you did with Deshaun Watson. The feedback is, God, I love you on Levitard all the time. And I just think that's so amazing. And you're so right. For, for, for people that hear Dan on a daily basis, they understand the intellect. They understand the sense of humor and the different way of perceiving the same world that we see. But what they don't know is what an amazing person that guy is. Who is the Dan Levitard that you know? I mean, just he, he is he is everything that you've got to know. I have seen countless acts of kindness uh, from Levitar that just, Marty, I know you've seen them as well, that will just blow your mind. Forget about within his own personal family or within our dysfunctional radio family. Um, I mean, the countless acts of kindness he's made towards us and things he has done for me in my career and all of our careers – um, is nothing short of amazing. But I'm not talking about that. It's, it's, this is the type of guy who will walk, as he's walking home, his, his six-block trek from, uh, from the studios every day home, uh, he, will walk, he will run into a, to a homeless man, and he will walk that person into a – just out of nowhere, on a Monday, walk that person into a restaurant and buy him a meal. And, and I've seen him do that countless times, that and countless other examples of just of, of how generous he is, how thoughtful he is, how caring he is. But I think the thing that stands out for me the most, more so than anything, because uh, we all know how talented he is, Morty, it's just his loyalty. His lo- the loyalty he has uh, to his people, to his family is, is second to none, especially in this industry where, and I am not directing this at anyone, but where everyone seems to try to kind of stab each other in the back. No one takes better care of his staff and is more thoughtful uh, about his staff and their future and their situations uh, than Dan is. He's just a very well-rounded person. No pun intended, by the way. Uh, you know, he, he'll be the first to tell there. you. To he'll be the first to tell you he's a little <laughs> rotund. I, I will say, like, it was, it was funny to me at his wedding uh, because – I don't even remember where I was coming. Oh, I think I had like Auburn and LSU that day or some football game. Yeah. And you were yeah, you coaching did. your daughters in Maryland, right? Or somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And like, yeah, you and I, I both come blowing into the reception like bats out of hell because we just wouldn't <laughs> miss it. No. <laughs> I mean, listen, uh, you wouldn't miss it. I don't know how. I still don't know how you got there. You got there before me, which upset me. But you know, I think everyone got there before I did. Um, uh, you wouldn't miss it for the world, and uh, and I wouldn't miss it either. I mean, listen, I, I will tell you, uh, the ramifications of me missing it would have been a lot worse for me than they would have been for you, because I would have, it would have been a week's worth of content uh, on the air. And I didn't want to miss it. it it's funny because when I told him, Marty that my flight was – I was in Baltimore coaching a lacrosse tournament. I left after our final game Saturday, and I had it pretty well mapped out. Like, I was going to miss the ceremony, but I left, and had that flight been on time, I would have been there for the reception, like, right on time, right? Um, but I left, and then I, and then I flew back the next day to coach, to coach my daughter's team. The next morning, I got, like, three hours of sleep. It was crazy, but 
Uh, I remember telling Dan, so I, I texted him saying, hey, flight's delayed. I'll be there late. He said, hey, don't worry about it. You're killing yourself. He said there. to me. Yep, he said, Boog Shambi's not coming. He's no, Boog's his best friend. And he said, and I, and I said, no, man, 17 years, I don't care if I'm there to have one drink with you. I, you know, that's how long he and I have been doing the show. I said, I want to be there for you on your wedding day. And I want to see how, you know, I want to see you and your bride. I want to be there with your family. And I don't care if it's 10 minutes and one drink. It turned out to be, you know, two hours and 17 drinks. And uh, and we had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You don't want to miss it, you know. Like he, he, he just—he's the kind of guy where you just want to be there for him because you know he's going to be there for you. I, uh, so I remember landing in Miami and being handed this coin because there was a U.S. marshal seated right, but right beside me or something, and he hands me this coin and he's like, "Man, I love you on Lebetard," and I'm like, "Thanks so much, man. I'm actually getting ready to try to." blow into his wedding here i'm late so i remember getting to my hotel stripping out of one suit throwing on another suit and blowing into the reception and i'm on like my third or fourth drink of the reception and it's this beautiful beautiful moment and here comes dan patrick with like shots and he hands me these shots and so i'm taking these shots with dan patrick and the next thing you know here comes Stu, looking like he just woke up two and a half you know two minutes ago Shirts all disheveled. He's got on jeans and sneakers. I'm like, why in the hell did I change? I could have just came with what I had on. You should have, man. You just <laughs> rolled right in there. <laughs> and by the way, you're right. That the Dan Levador wedding quickly became the Dan Patrick wedding. <laughs> that guy. My man took over, didn't he? Oh my God, he was holding court. He was, uh, he was, he was pouring shots for everyone. Uh, and we had. A, I ended up driving to Walmart. He's in a hotel. I mean, it was. Uh, it was uh, it was crazy. So um, yeah, listen, I, I got in. I didn't have time. Like Marty, the flight was delayed. I did have clothes in the back, but like the flight was delayed. And so I, I know our audience on the radio has heard this, but like I didn't know what to do. And so I just figured, hey, I'm here. I'm Stugatz. I'll roll with it. And and so all I did was really I changed to a button down shirt. If you by the way, you look you look amazing. I'm not certain. Even with all that said, anyone looks better than you did. Uh, at that wedding. I'm not certain anyone. Thank you, sir. Okay. I appreciate I, that. I, really, I mean, you cleaned up and cleaned up quickly. And I'm certain whatever you were wearing on the plane would have been acceptable and you still would have looked better <laughs> than anyone else there. Um, but, I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't have a hotel. I was, I was sleeping at home that night. And so I was left, you know, if you remember the place, Marty, it was like in a residential neighborhood. And so uh, I stopped like two houses down from where Dan was having the actual wedding. Uh, I brought, uh, you know, I had a little, uh, like, toothbrush, travel toothbrush, some toothpaste, a bottle of water. I was wearing a hat. I took the hat off. I splashed some water in. I was in this guy's driveway in his front yard, shirtless, giving myself a shower just outside. <laughs> Dude, I went around the block, like, 15 times trying to find where I was going. I couldn't find the place. Finally, I'm, I know, like, well, I felt- party. I'm walking up there and seeing what the hell is going on. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, I was, I was, I was next door showering at that time. Driveway. <laughs> and he walked out to me and he said to me, uh, "Hey, everything okay?" And I looked up and so there was a shirtless man in his driveway <laughs> who is running water and gel through his hair and brushing his teeth and spitting it out in his driveway. And he walks out to me and said, "Everything okay here?" And I said, "What do you mean?" <laughs> He's standard operating procedure, Jack. 
<laughs> I said, everything's fine. I'll be out of here in a minute. I got a wedding next door. He goes, <laughs> his response is fantastic. He goes, man, the couple must mean a lot to you. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said they actually do, and, and so uh, from there I was I was over at the wedding uh, a couple of minutes later, and, and Dan tells the story till this day. Only you can walk in four and a half hours to my wedding, and yet, yet everyone's happy, and you steal the show. And uh, uh, for better or for worse, that's kind of where I've arrived. Uh, that's where we've arrived as a show, as a tandem, and, and where I've arrived as as an individual. It was fun. It was a good time, man. Was, and I was glad, I, Marty. I'm certain you could say the same thing. As much as, as as exhausted as you were the next day, and Lord knows I was, uh, it was well worth it to be there for him. And it's it's impressive to me that you were not only there for him, but you were also there for your daughter. And yeah. what 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 perspective does coaching her and her team give you? Um, man, it gives me, Marty, it's, it gives me a lot. I would, I would safely tell you it's, it's one of the greatest, if not the greatest experiences I've had in my life. And I say that having experienced a lot, right? Like you don't get, you don't do, you know, 17 years radio together, get to ESPN, um, have all the opportunities that ESPN has afforded me, not just doing the show, but, uh, around the horn and first take and Mike and Mike and, then getting to meet all the great people and, and, and becoming friends with people like you and Nina and our, and our whole crew. Um, so I, I've had some great experiences, but being able to, to have that experience and share it with her and take a team, you know, a bunch of kids in a place where Florida isn't that popular and have them be the number one team in the country for their age group 2022 uh, has been, has been an amazing experience. And, and I will tell you this, it's, I mean, the Kobe story on its own was, was such a tragedy, but what made it really difficult for me and a lot of people was once, so, so Marty, I'm on the, the golf course and I hear the news about Kobe. And at that point it was just Kobe. And I remember I, I pulled over to the side. I actually left my foursome. Um, didn't feel like playing golf anymore. And then by the time I got home, uh, you, saw, you started seeing pictures of his daughter of Kobe and his daughter. And, and then it really hit home for me in a way. It was tragic on its own with Kobe, but it, it, I think it really humanized uh, him in a lot of ways because all you kept seeing was him and his daughter at the basketball, him teaching his daughter how to play. And the real tragedy in all this is we can't relate to Kobe on the court. We just can't. He does things that, you know, very few people, if any, in the history of, of mankind have been able to do on a basketball, a basketball court. I can't relate to that. But what I can relate to is being a dad and being my daughter's coach and taking her to practice and helping her get better at her craft. And what really stings about all this is as good as Kobe had it on the court, he missed the best part of his life because it is infinitely better watching your daughter do it and teaching your daughter how to do it and then watching her execute it than it is doing it yourself. And so as good as he had it on the court, the best parts were yet to come. And he wasn't able to uh, he wasn't able to get that part of it. He got some of it, not all of it. And so uh, uh, that part, the part I'm going through right now, I'm grateful for it every day. And I think about that story almost every day because God, am I grateful to have that experience with my daughter? Changes you, doesn't it? Being a girl dad. Oh, there's no that's there's that's no feeling like I have a son too, and I adore him and I love him, and but it's different a little bit. The, parenting a boy and 
parenting a girl and the way that that love feels and that specific bond. And I, I don't know that I ever dreamed that that feeling would exist. It's a very sweet feeling. Yeah. You're, you're right. Like you're a hero and you always will be. Um, And they'll always need you. and, And they look at you like Superman in a way that, you know, the relationship with with your son is just is just different. I grew up in a household all boys. I have a brother. I don't have any sisters. Um, and Marty, I'll tell you a quick story because you're right. Like when we we went in to find out, you know, uh, we were having twins and we knew we were having twins, and so there was a finale a finality to that because we knew we weren't having more kids after that, right? And so uh, you know, we went in there and the doctor says, "Baby A, girl, wife." My mom, her mom, super excited. And <laughs> I'd be lying <laughs> I'd be lying to you if I didn't sit there going like yep. A B B, that'd be a boy. Like, <laughs> 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 you gotta be the boy. Let's go. Uh, you know? And uh and then the doctor says, Baby B, girl. And my wife's thrilled, mother in law thrilled, mom thrilled. I and, and I'm trying to act like I'm there with them, right? But I'm a little little depressed, a little let down. My mom noticed it. Uh, Marty, I'm telling you the truth when I tell you this. She pulled me out by my ear to the sidewalk, and she said, you're having <laughs> two daughters. It don't matter about the sex. It'd be the best things in your life. And and she was right. And I went back in there, put a big smile on my face, got over it quickly. Uh, we moved forward, and I will tell you this. I told, I, and I said this at their bat mitzvah when I, when I gave a speech. Uh, if I were to have more kids, and I don't care if I have 15 more kids, give me 15 girls because there is just nothing like, you're right, man. There is nothing like that bond and that relationship that you have with your daughter. So, uh, yeah, like give me 10 more. I ain't having any more kids, but if I did, I want them all to be girls. How many people, if any, actually call you by your real name anymore? Oh, man. <laughs> that is a good You call me Stu. My kids call me Stu. Your kids uh, call you Stu? Oh yeah, they love it. All right, Marty, here's the dangerous thing. They What's they have learned. Call you, they, uh, oh no, she, no, things I can't say on this podcast. Not even on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the list, I mean, I'll put her on. She can tell you what she calls. <laughs> um, but you know, I think I think most. You know, my brother calls me Stu. Uh, my mom, she, you know, she, listen, my mom, and I'm certain, like, my mom still calls me Jonathan, right? Like, when she's mad at me, it's Jonathan. And so, um, you know, I'm a good job. But I think, you know, probably most people in my life call me Stu or Gods or something like that. So I would say very few people, with the exception of mom when she's angry at me, are calling me John these days. I have a decent understanding of how the name came to be, but I would bet the farm that there are a lot of people who listen to Marty Smith's America who have no idea. And I think it means like bull testicles or like oxen feet. I don't know what the hell Stugatz means, but yeah. how, how did how did this come to be? Explain. So. So when we started, I'll, I'll tell you a second. We started ESPN. There were two things that they that that they were worried about. They were worried about Ron McGill, the animal segment, right? Who's <laughs> uh, a genius, by and, the way. Oh, a genius! Uh, and I'll tell you a quick story about that in a second. They worried about my name because they just didn't know what the name meant. Um, <laughs> quick, funny on Ron McGill. Like those were the two things. That was it. I, I told them, hey, my real name's John Weiner. It ain't much better. So it's like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
It's basically the same thing. On the uh, on the Ron McGill stuff, they fought us like tooth and nail about that segment. Dan's like, I ain't doing the show if, if Ron McGill ain't coming with me. And I felt the same way because it's such a compelling and great segment. He, and he makes for such great radio. So they finally, you know, they finally agreed. And <laughs> Marty, you can't make it up. Like a week later, after objecting to having Ron McGill on our show on a weekly basis, Ron McGill, within three weeks of us signing our contract, Made two appearances on SportsCenter and one appearance on Good Morning America. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are revolutionaries, man. I'm telling you. Uh, it's too funny. Uh, to the name real quick. So when I started producing the show, and I, I always get the names mixed up, Marty, but I was right around when the Sopranos were getting popular and came out. And, uh, and – and I'm producing Hank's show, and I think it was Reggie Wayne. I thought Reggie Wayne was coming on. It might be opposite. I have no idea. I thought Reggie Wayne was coming on, and I prepared questions for Hank as if it were Reggie Wayne. It ended up being Santana Moss who called in. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 or vice versa. And, uh, and so Hank being the pro that he, that he, that he was and, and is, uh, uh, had a list of Reggie Wayne questions in front of him, crumpled them up, threw them in the garbage, gave me that Hank Goldberg stare, and thundered through the interview. With and it was great. He did a great job because Hank was a pro. Uh, after, but I knew he was upset with me, and I was upset with it. Uh, afterwards, he said, uh, "He said, John, I come to the microphone." I said, "Okay." He said, "You watch the show, The Sopranos." I said, uh, "Yeah, I watched it." He goes, "The name of Tony's boat? What is it?" No idea. He said, "It's the gods," and I said, "Okay." He said, look, it, uh, look up what it means during the break. Come back, tell the audience. I said, okay, why? He said, because that's your nickname forevermore. For, for you know, telling me that Reggie Wayne was coming on and it was Sid Hannibal's. And so <laughs> I, looked it up during the break. <laughs> I looked it up during the break. He told me to come on the mic again when we got back. He said, tell everyone what it means. I said, uh, I said Hank, if I tell everyone what it means, we're going to lose our license in your show. <laughs> and so... Uh, but I said, I'll be, I'm accepting of the nickname and, and I'm good with it. So let's just, let's just move forward. So that's that's the story. Tony's boat. The name of Tony's boat. Brothers. And it stuck like that. That's amazing to me. I know. I know. I, listen, Marty, I fought it. I fought it like with everything that I had because it's such a ridiculous name. But armed with hindsight now, 17 years, it's, it's well, 20 years since he gave it the name. Um, it's the greatest thing he's ever. Like I, I saw him recently, Marty, and I thanked him and I said, you know, I fought the name that you gave me, uh, Tooth and Nail. So much so that Dan and I were contemplating changing it when we started at ESPN. And we threw it out to the audience, and they're like, what do you mean change it? Just keep it. We love it. We love him. Keep it as is. And uh, listen, in, in an industry where we're all trying to stand out and be a little bit different, um, that name has certainly served me well. It served me well. It served my personality well. It served my character well. And so uh, I fought it for a long time, but, but I'm, uh, I'm as thankful for that as, as anything in my career because it just helps me stand out a bit, and it's hard to stand out in this industry. What do people say to you about, about that character and about the, the humor that you inject into that show? Because people don't understand the work that you do to make sure that that show sings and the work that you do to make sure that that show is financially stable and plausible and beneficial what do people say to you about that character that well listen they've grown to love it um 
And I appreciate you saying that because a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes stuff. Like, Marty, you've been there. You've seen the show. Like, it, like, it seems like we're doing it all, you know, by the seat of our pants. But, you know, there's a lot of communication, a lot of hard work yep. you know, that goes into that thing. You can't it's, – it's kind of like we're hitting notes, right? And, and apologies to the dog, Marty. No, it's okay. Um, hey, it's, it is what it is. I, it's a barnyard around here too. <laughs> I'm only outside now. Um, and so we're just trying to hit notes, but all that stuff, like Dan didn't, again, Dan had no radio experience. So, um, and I say this lovingly, the guys on our show, um, I ain't doing this alone. Like that, that, that staff's as good as any staff in America. It's why we cherish them so much, why we value them so much, why we love them so much. I just said in a recent podcast that at the point of, you know, at the point of production meeting within the show, um, how important it is for Dan and I to have someone like Mike and then all the other guys, Billy, Chris, but especially Mike. I don't think I've ever seen a producer who's as good uh, inside a show in terms of knowing what we need, when we need it, without us telling him that we need it, than Mike. And the rest of the guys have kind of followed through. Um, but I do appreciate that. Like, yeah, Dan will tell stories, and I, I know he's told them with you right there. I'll produce that show on the fly with those guys. Um, there is so much. There is so much communication going on uh, between me and them while Dan's talking and filler busting. <laughs> and all we're trying to do is set up the line to end the segment, or set up set up a joke, or set up how to advance how to advance it. Um, and then the sales stuff is just something that that I've always been good at, and, and I know how valuable it is to Dan and, and to our company, who has been great to us. Um, but people have grown to love that character, Marty, because that character is them, right? It's it's no I'm question, you, and it. Yeah, I'm sitting home. I got, you know, I'm sitting home. I got a bag of chips in my left hand. My, my right hand's down my pants. I, I want the jet coach fired <laughs> on one flight, and the next flight, he's the next. He's the coach of the year. I mean, that, that is how sports fans, that are, that's how sports fans kind of, kind of, you know, consume sports. And then when you kind of move it over to a personal level, I have two kids. I have a family. I have a commute. Um all all the the anxieties and struggles and stuff that you have in your life, I have them too. And so that really made us relatable because Lord knows Dan is not. I mean he's just he's living a different life and he's and he's and he's just a different person. He's he was until very recently single, living on South Beach, living a life that we were not familiar with. And uh what my role did and what my character did and the reason people loved it so much is 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 here's this kind of highbrow, great, unbelievable pillar of journalism uh, sports guy, and sitting next to him is every other guy. <laughs> right. And so, and so they had a voice on, on this show that they loved, and that, and that really served us well, served me well, and it served Dan well, to be honest with you. So. The beauty of the show is the chemistry in the show and the people and how you guys are just clairvoyant in your humor and your perspectives and, and all those things. What's it been like to – be apart from one another doing the show during this unique time? Uh, listen, no show, no show was, 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 was more ready for a pandemic than ours. <laughs> like, it, it sounds crazy, but we've been training for this whole entire lives, Marty. <laughs> it's uh, like, we knew we'd be fine. The only thing with our show um, is and so what makes it tricky is that unspoken communication that we were just talking about, where there's just a lot of eye contact. So that stuff, and we we were very reliant on sound, on old sound, and so we've lost some of our library, and and, and some of the timing is off. But you know, we're still putting out good shows. I mean, we had one of our best digital month ever uh, <laughs> during all of this, and so 
Uh, I think Dan and I, and, and Marty, you know us, he's a, he is a damn perfectionist, that man, uh, but he has loosened up a little bit uh, because he realizes that we just can't get it down to perfection. Really, our, our job and all our jobs during all of this is, outside of obviously taking care of yourself, taking care of your families, is, man, if we can give our audience just a three-hour relief every day, uh, that's the only way we should be looking at it, and that's the way we are looking at it. And I will tell you personally, it is – I feel for so many people who are at home, Marty, to be able to have a show to do Monday through Friday. I can't get through the weekend quick enough. I can't get to Monday quick enough because that three-hour block in the middle of my day uh, makes days go by quicker, you know? And it makes me feel good to know that we're, we're, we're kind of getting people's minds off of, off of what I kind of struggle. Right now. We, we, people expect the same from Ryan McGee and myself with the Marty McGee program. We're, people kind of consider us redneck levitard a little bit, but – I struggled with it on Saturday. I, I was kind of in a, a weird, funky mood when I got up thinking about everything that was going on. And after the very first couple sentences, we both kind of were like, well, that's not what we're, we're not here to talk about everything that's wrong with coronavirus. We'll let CNN do that. We're here to give yeah. that relief on a Saturday morning and make you laugh and broach very odd topics and pay tribute to Kenny Rogers. And so, (laughs) you know, that's kind of, it is a unique responsibility and it is a responsibility. That's what people want from, from you guys and from us. And so you guys do a great job of it. I will say though, one thing that I love about what you guys do, and I feel like Ryan and I do it pretty well too, even though we sort of thrive in a humorous way, when there is a very important important serious topic like you were you just talking about kobe was very introspective and i remember when the stoneman douglas tragedy happened that's right up the street from where you live and the way that you spoke about it and the vulnerability with which you spoke about it was a narrative that we all needed to hear what was that what was that like for you um Man, I just as you brought it up, I got goosebumps. I'm I'm standing outside my house right now. Before some of these houses were developed, I could see that school from where it is uh, that I'm standing. That's how close I live to it. Um, and so, literally, the arms, uh, the the hair, the the hair on my arms just just kind of stood up here. Um, that that was listen. It's weird, right? Because this is I'm Stugatz. I'm the court jester. I'm 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 not to be taken seriously yet. Uh, something as serious uh, as that happened right in my hometown, Uh, you know, on my drive home. um, I saw just fleets of cop cars and armed vehicles uh, on the Sawgrass Expressway down here as I was driving home. Um, I had to pull over, didn't know what it was, then realized what it was once I actually got into my town because all those, those fleets that just passed me, they were all there, you know, Um, it was all over town. You couldn't get, from point A to point B. You just couldn't get anywhere, Marty. It was chaos. Um, and so that, you know, that's difficult when you're still got But I think what it also did, um, you know, I remember getting, I went on Mike and Mike the next day. I went on outside the line. Um, I was talking about uh, the tra- uh, tragedy. And, and I remember getting texts from people. I don't normally get texts from journalists saying, uh, how well, you know, the Bob Ryans of the world and and just how well I, I kind of presented what was happening. And, and that meant a lot to me. So I think if anything, selfishly, it, it, it 
maybe put me in a different light there at ESPN with, with a lot of folks. Uh, I did not, that, you know, it wasn't a time for, for selfishness. I'm just, you're asking and I'm answering. Um, so that was, it, it's tricky coming out of character. And then, like, listen, there's a real human being here. I know sense of humor, court jester. I don't take a lot of things seriously, but that was obviously something that happened in my hometown, affected a lot of my kids' friends, affected a lot of our friends. And the acts of kindness I saw that day where there were people literally, because kids were running around in the streets, they couldn't find their parents, and there were people, adults, uh, like myself, who were just taking kids, putting them aside on the, on the side of the road, uh, asking for their parents' phone number, calling their parents, connecting them with their parents so their parents knew that they were okay. Um, the acts of kindness I saw that day is something I'll, if you can find a positive in a tragedy like that, it was just seeing people who didn't even have kids at the school, who didn't know the kids that were on the side of the road looking for their parents, still trying to help them out and trying to help everyone out. And the acts of kindness I saw that day is something, something I'll never forget. And, and you know, I, I remember saying, like, hey, let's, let's hope this continues once we move past this and we don't go back to being the same old, same old. But the reality is, Marty, we, we, we did. And, I mean, listen, it's still here, and you feel it every day. But eventually – so. I only bring that up because my hope, Marty, and I know you feel the same way, is the way we're treating each other right now is the way we should always be treating each other. My fear is that when this is over, within a month, we'll go back to treating each other the way we did before. I hope it's not the case, uh, but that's always my fear with this stuff. The way we act in times of desperation when other people need us is the way we should always be acting. And unfortunately, that's just not the reality and not the case. So. I completely agree with you. I, 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 too, I pray every day that we'll emerge from this with greater perspective on just the beauty of convening and the group beauty of gathering. People have gathered yes. forever, and I look forward to getting back to that. And I'm just so grateful for you, brother, and your friendship. Uh, it means so much to me. You guys have been so good to me, and I will never, ever, ever take that for granted. So thank you. I uh, appreciate your yeah. time. And, yep. uh, you know, everybody needs a little stupidity every now and then. <laughs> well, I've been giving them a lot of it the last couple of weeks. I had nothing else to do. So it's like, I'm cracking out like two to three episodes uh, a week. And, and really what it's doing is saving my marriage. So it's, um, Good man. Hey, because whatever it takes, buddy. I yeah. Hey, Marty, uh, and I want to tell you from, from our, you know, our relationship, whether you know this or not, started with, with I, Mike Ryan and I and Billy came in one day and we said, you're the most interesting sideline reporter in the history of sideline reporters. We kept telling Dan that. Like, the most interesting man, Dos Equis commercials, you were the most interesting sideline reporter. And and then Mike pointed out something that I hadn't noticed where you always have a football in your hand. And I said, oh, yeah, you <laughs> And so uh, – we just kept pressing, pressing Dan, pressing Dan, and then eventually brought you on, and you delivered exactly the way uh, we knew you would. And we've had so many great moments with you on the White House lawn, and <laughs> that's a being story. Threatened by, <laughs> being threatened by, <laughs> by security if you threw another pass right on the front lawn of the White House. Uh, you egged me on. on tried. You were like, "Hey, Marty, throw, throw a pass on the on the White House lawn." <laughs> okay, Corey, run the public pattern. So I yeah, throw this What's beautiful about you, and the same with me, is you put me on that lawn, and Dan asked me to do it. I do it without hesitation. Remember, 
that's it when they learn. When Dan tells you to do something, you do it. And so <laughs> the beauty of that is uh, I asked you to do that knowing that you would eventually deliver and do it. <laughs> like, oh, I, like, it was whatever. a dumb suggestion, but I knew you'd do it. So, uh, But then I do want to tell you that, that – go ahead. I'm sorry. Some guy from like CBS News or something pokes his head around the corner and goes, hey, man, if you do that again, you're going to get shot. And I went, I, I remember oh, looking man. right in the camera and saying to you, because you were like, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I was like, yes. they just told me if I do that again, I'm going to get shot. So we're not going to do that again. <laughs> uh, but, Marty, just to finish that thought, I will tell you, uh, welcoming you into this, this dysfunctional family we have down here was easy. Uh, we love you. We're proud of the relationship we've, we've developed with you. Uh, we'll always be here for you. You know that, and that's just the kind of the way we roll. And and but we feel the same way about you. We know you'd always be there for us. And I've said this a million times. There are very few people in my life I can only count on one hand that make me happy every time I hear their voice or see their face. Uh, and that is you and Greg Cody. Congratulations, my friend. <laughs> hey, that's great company. All right, <laughs> it, it is. is. It Cody. Is. It is. Yes, you and Cody, man. Uh, you're a wonderful man. You, you really, you're, you're a great dad, uh, and you're, and you're a great friend and we appreciate your friendship. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. I appreciate you. Be good. Be safe. You got it. Now I know y'all as listeners and probably your favorite part and most revealing part of that is how my man Stu got the nickname Stu Gotts. Of course it's Hammer and Hank Goldberg. Of course, Stu God's told him the wrong guest. I love that guy. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. Throughout my career at ESPN, I've been so fortunate to have people believe in me and offer me opportunities that I may not have earned and didn't deserve and whatnot. Throughout the entire 15-year journey, I'm, I think I'm on year 14 now. I started in September of 06, and it's 20. It's almost September of 20. So I'm coming up on my 14th anniversary at the company. I am so grateful for the many different changes and rebirths, as it were, that the company has afforded me. And one of those is my relationship with Dan and Stu Gotts, which began... Probably five years ago, something like that. I'm not sure, but I think they just really appreciated the very weird and different and odd brand of TV that I was making in that moment where I was either jumping off a boathouse roof into Lake Burton with Nick Saban and Tim Tebow, or I was flying over top of Iceland in a helicopter. But they loved, Dan and Stu Gotts and Mike loved that kind of television. And they thought it was hilarious that I was just out there having fun, raising cane and doing something different. And so they started having me on the Levitard show often and from wherever I was in the world. And fake Marty Smith is one of the greatest rejoins ever. Hey, Dan, hey, Stu. I actually did a live shot with the Levitard show once from Paris when I was over there with the University of Michigan on a merry-go-round, wearing a one of those, like, French hats. Like a, a beret? A beret, yep, that's what it was, a beret. And they thought that was very funny, too. But I love those guys, and I'm so appreciative of the friendships and, and one of the most humbling things of my life 
was being invited to Dan's wedding and getting to, to get down there. I was actually covering like Auburn LSU that day. And I got there just in time for the stunning reception to begin. And I mean, of course, it's a who's who. Fortunately for me, I wasn't the last person who arrived. There was one person who showed up later than me and far, far, far more underdressed than me. That was Stu Gotts. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you always having my back. Travis, they seem to like Ask Marty last week, so I think we should keep doing it. What do you think? I agree, and here we'll go with the first one from at uh, Shane Bowen. Besides Michael Jordan, what athlete were you most excited to meet? It was Tiger Woods. Um, I was going all the way back to, to Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon when I first started as a reporter. I'll never forget sitting on the pit wall at Richmond International Raceway in the spring of 1998. I had just graduated from college, and NASCAR was just a rocket ship, just exploding in the American national consciousness in that time. And corporate America just couldn't get enough of NASCAR. And, you know, they were still at that point three years away from their first network television deal. But it was just exploding in popularity. And that was mainly because of the Dale Earnhardt-Jeff Gordon rivalry. And I can remember sitting on the pit wall for practice on a Friday morning at Richmond. And whoom, the number two car goes by. Number two, Miller Light Ford. And I was like, that is really Rusty Wallace. Whoom, number three car goes by. GM Goodwrench Chevrolet. That is really Dale Earnhardt. Whoom, number 24. DuPont Automotive Finishes Chevrolet. That's really Jeff Gordon. I couldn't wrap my hands around the fact that I was getting paid to be at a NASCAR race, and I had the access to walk into the garage and stand 10 feet away from Dale Earnhardt. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. And I can remember being quite literally shaking the first time that I was holding my tape recorder in front of Dale. J.R. Rhodes, who's a great friend now, was Dale's PR guy and kind of day-to-day handler, as it were. I would ask J.R., I was terrified of everybody. I didn't have any self-confidence to just walk up and interview people. Back then, NASCAR did not do organized media sessions in the garage the way they do now and or did before the pandemic and you just you kind of had the guts to walk up there and ask them and they could just tell you to go pound sand if they wanted to but i can just remember the aura and the presence that dale had and i was so grateful to have any time covering him and i'm i'm so grateful now i i do wish that i could interview him now with the the all the repetitions I've had and, and all of the diversity that I've had in my career and the people that I've interviewed, 
I would love to have the opportunity to sit across from Dale now and just ask him about life and, you know, because I've gotten so close with Junior and hearing Junior talk about, tell stories about his dad on his podcast or in person or on text messages, uh, it would be so thrilling to have that opportunity. So when I sat across from Tiger Woods, that was, you know, everybody knows the story now about about Tiger walking into the clubhouse at Medalist Golf Club. And I was in there by myself doing my notes and, and kind of the way I operate as an interviewer now and the preparation that I put into it. It's painstaking when I'm interviewing someone. I don't care who it is. I don't care whether it's uh, someone of Tiger's level of acclaim or someone who might not have that level of acclaim. I prepare the same way for everybody. I was in there going over my last second study of my notes so that I could crumple them up and throw them away and have a conversation with Tiger Woods. And this shadow washes across the doorway, and I look up, and it's Tiger, and I jump up like I'd been kicked by a horse. And I stuck my hand out to shake his hand. He's like, nah, bro, bring it in. He's like, hey, he said, you want to know the coolest thing I've ever seen on ESPN? I was like, what? He's like, man, when you pounded that Budweiser with Dale Jr. And right then, it infused me with so much self-confidence. Like, damn, damn, this dude's one of us. Like, he's a normal cat. This is awesome. And so we sat across from one another, and he gave me so much time. And to, to spend that time discussing his relationship with his father and how that game was honed and those special moments with his kids and calling his first master's jacket his blankie was just just beyond my I'm still kind of working through processing what an unbelievable opportunity that was and I'm so grateful to him for the time and and then you know Travis you and I got the opportunity to do it again when was that bud February March I think that was maybe late February, early March. I, uh, he had his teleconference for the Masters. The Masters winner always does it. And then afterwards, we got 15 minutes of alone time with them. And uh, the nervousness of me when I see on the caller ID, you know, it pop up. And I'm, you know, hey, thanks, Tiger. Let me put you a hold on. I'm trying to make sure we get every second. So be nice to him, but also trying to be hur hurrying to get him on with you and go and not make sure I don't drop the call or whatever. In the, my five seconds of talking with Tiger, I was uh, I had it was kind of like your Michael Jordan moment. <laughs> it was uh, and it was so neat to have that time with him. I was actually in College Station, Texas. I had the Kentucky Texas A and M game that night, and I had just left my boy Joel Justice, who is one of Calipari's assistants. He and I were having coffee right next to the uh, the hotel we were staying in that morning. Uh, we happened upon one another, and Joel is a beautiful soul. He's going to be a big-time college basketball coach soon. Young man, but just really has great perspective on life and great self-awareness and, and his care for the young men that he's coaching. And, of course, he's learning under one of the greatest of all time in Calipari right now. And so, anyway, I left Joel because I was like, he was like, where are you going, man? I mean, you know, it was, a, it was like a 9 p.m. game, and this was like 7.30 in the morning central time. I'm like, man, I got a hop, dude. I got to go do. I got to go do something. I got an interview. I got to go do. He's like, an interview with who? I was like, 
Tiger Woods. He was like, shut up, dude. I was like, man, I'm serious. I'm going to interview Tiger about the Masters. And it was that was an amazing interview. Uh, he was so vulnerable and cool, and we got to catch up. And he's always so kind in what he says to me. And it just, how do you get used to that? The second you get used to that is the second you've kind of lost a little bit of the magic and the blessing that is getting to do this. I hope, I really hope, <clears throat> our friends at Augusta, that we get the opportunity to do that again uh, as we inch here closer to what I hope is the Masters Tournament in November. Wow, uh, that was a really long answer to a very, very short question, but I think that the answer would be Tiger Woods. Next question. Here's one that we talked about earlier last week. These questions you don't know, and I'm curious to see how this one goes. From Axel 65 Harley, what's the best verse ever in a country song? Uh, the best verse ever in a country song. Ooh. Those are hard to answer off the top of your head, but I'm going to do my best. Um, I think one song that I'd like to throw in there is you could pick any part of the song as the highwayman though. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, again, that's a really hard thing to answer. I don't look at these questions before we do this live. Should we table this? Should we table this one for next week and allow you to have a full detailed answer? Well, I mean, yeah, I'll tell you what, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll revisit it. But to your point, I mean, Johnny Cash's line, all the lines in the Highwaymen are brilliantly written, right? They're just, Jimmy Webb wrote this song 100 years ago. I, I, I've studied this song. And Cash's line at the end of the song is insane. And, and I'll tell you why it's so brilliant is the last couple of lines of the song. I'm gonna, I'm going to quote you the last Johnny Cash's stanza of the Highwayman. It's, I fly a starship across the universe divide, and when I reach the other side, I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can. Perhaps I may become a Highwayman again. Now here is one of the most brilliant lyrics ever, because you think about what it is. Or I may simply be a single drop of rain. But I will remain. And I'll be back again and again and again and again. Because if you think about that. Or I may simply be a single drop of rain. I will remain. And I'll be back again. Because you think about that drop of rain. It's just like, holy smokes. Um, that's a good call, Travis. Uh, that song is just so well done. But yeah, I'd have to actually consider that one before I offer a definitive answer. Um, that's, that's a very, very difficult one. Time for a little story time. You put in your Instagram account last night. Apparently, there's a wedding going on across the water. Uh, I want to hear more about this. Dude, 
It was so weird. Uh, we were just hanging out at the pool, and the kids had all gone in. We'd gotten the kids fed, Laney and I had. And she and I were just hanging out, having a drink, messing around with the dog. And all of a sudden, I look across the cove, and there is a bride walking down the sidewalk across the cove at our neighbor's house. And we had heard, we knew they were having, Lainey kept looking at me going, they're having a huge party over there. Because the music was, there's always music. We live the lake life, right? There's always music playing on people's boats, off their docks. That's normal. But this music was different. I was like, I think I hear a DJ. I think you got a DJ going on. You don't hear Whitney Houston probably playing as often as uh, you heard last night. (laughs) No, no. And... So then comes down this couple, and they're standing on our neighbor's dock across the cove, and they're taking all their wedding photos and whatnot. And so I was like, this is crazy. So I sat on the edge of our pool, and that's when Lainey started taking video of it and putting it on her Instagram. And I was, like, uh, really enthralled by the fact that during the quarantine, these folks did their wedding. I need the backstory. Eventually, I'll be able to tell you all the backstory. And so, I my dog was acting crazy. And I don't know if you saw this on Instagram. My dog heard that music. And began. She had, this dog is out of her mind. She has this witching hour every night. And it's the craziest thing you've ever seen, dude. She turns into, a, she turns into Gizmo from the Grizz, Gremlins. And she's like biting everything and losing her mind. Well... I didn't have the leash on her, and she took off running and didn't stop running. I mean, like 20 minutes. I couldn't catch her. It was I could not. I, I, I was diving at her, wallering around in the grass trying to catch her, hurt myself. By the way, dude, this morning I took that dog out, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I kept feeling like this stick. I kept feel like feeling like I was getting stuck in my left side and whatever. So I come inside, and I'm like, something ain't right. I, I cut the tags. Out. You know how you sometimes you have a tag in your shirt that, like, sticks your skin a little bit? It's, it's the worst. Yeah. So I'm cutting the tags out of my shirt, whatever. Well, nothing's helping. Well, come to find out, I rip my shirt off, and there is a fire ant in my shirt. I was just going to... I was just going to guess, was it some sort of insect? It was stinging me. I got stings all over my left side, up in my armpit. No good. I I have a friend. I was talking with him uh, Saturday night, and he said he was out working, and he felt something but didn't notice anything. He went and changed, and out fell out a spider. He kept it just in case something bad happened. They could identify what the issue was, but he had a spider in his shorts, and it bit him a couple times. So, uh this is two people now that I know that have had this issue. Hopefully it didn't bite him in the wrong place. Uh, I didn't ask him where exactly it bit him. <laughs> you didn't ask for pinpoint accuracy on where no, it No, no. Yeah, it was, I didn't need to know uh, the exact details. Laney just walked into the office. I need to make a correction, y'all. Laney just walked into the office, grabbed one of the 74 letters from fans that I still have to respond to. And grabbed a sharpie and wrote, "Martin, Gizmo is sweet. Cujo is nasty." So I had my gremlins mixed up. Cujo's a dog, right? Okay, yeah. Cujo's that mean dog that had that slobbery mouth. Stephen King. 
Anyway, Stripe, Striper, or Stripe, or somebody was the mean, mean <laughs> gremlin, right? Whatever Laney says, I'll go with it. Whatever, whatever Laney says. Um, well, I hope y'all enjoyed that interview with Stu Gotts. We certainly did. I hope you enjoyed Ask Marty. I'll try to do better next time. Maybe, maybe I should. Maybe we should. I don't know if it's as fun if I look at the questions. If I have like ready canned answers, right? I yeah, I like I like I like you when you uh, you don't know what's coming because then you go off the rails usually or something like that. Yeah, when I'm I'll, on the I'll, spot. Maybe I won't I won't give you so many hard ones in the same uh, episode. I'll sprinkle a hard one in with a fun one or something. Better I mean, better producing uh, ne- better producing next week. <laughs> I'm still sitting here thinking about the Highway Man and how well that's written. Um, I just like there's so many amazing lyrics i mean you could go on and on and on and on and on here's the homework then for our listeners i mean even in the current format there is some there's some really good writing going on all right so homework no our homework is not for you it's for our listeners what are what's their favorite verse then they should be tweeting at you the their favorite verse so we can see what they're thinking i like that uh tweet me your favorite verse at marty smith espn Tweet us your question at Marty Smith ESPN, and uh, and we'll answer it at some point. Uh, hundreds are coming in, right? Like a lot of people. We're getting good. We're getting good numbers, and it just sometimes I'll pick five, sometimes pick two. Just depends on, you know, what we have in the podcast that week. But keep throwing them our, your, keep throwing them to us. Keep them coming. We appreciate y'all's interaction. We appreciate y'all's investment in marty smith's america and please 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 subscribe rate and review it matters it helps us keep this thing free we appreciate all of you guys being so loyal to it and and all the notes i get again i every now and then uh i don't look at, at twitter mentions uh but once a week and invariably when i do sign on for marty and mcgee on saturday mornings i will see so many nice notes about it and i, I get a ton of them on instagram dm when I do decide to check that every, I don't know, week, once a week or something. Um, but thank you guys. I'm so grateful. Travis is looking at it all the time. Travis is looking at my Twitter. So y'all can, he, they are seen. Travis looks at, uh, has access to my Twitter machine and, and looks at that all the time. So write us, let us know. And if it's, uh, if it's something that I need to know, Travis will make sure I know. Um, thank you so much to, our law enforcement officials working so hard to keep our community safe and uh and and they're working really hard and I appreciate every one of you for how hard you're working to keep our community safe uh, along with our firemen uh it seems like every day there's a firehouse over here the Cornelius firehouse is within earshot of of my house and if we're outside on the water or whatever it seems like every day I'm hearing those sirens go off because they're going off to to do their work and put themselves in harm's way to uh, help others or save others. And I'm really appreciative uh, of them. Thank you so much to our military uh, here in the United States and all around the world sacrificing to keep us free. It's It's a wonderful blessing to live in the United States of America. Let's be unified. Let's love one another, and let's let kindness be our compass. Have an amazing week. Thank you all so much. That's Marty Smith's America, Volume 100-something or other. 
We'll do better next time.